Hello, and welcome back to Manhattan Theater Club's Beyond the Stage podcast. I'm Rachel Lin, and in this episode, I speak with playwright Emily Feldman and director Daniel Aachen. I was so excited to speak with both of them about many things, but especially the new play development process. The two of them have been collaborating since before the pandemic on Emily's latest play, The Best We Could, A Family Tragedy, which begins previews February 7th at New York City Center Stage 1. I was eager to get a look into their working relationship and what it takes to bring a new play into the world. We love giving our audiences a behind-the-scenes look into our latest productions, and we so appreciate it when you leave us a review or share the episode with a friend. Thank you so much for tuning in. Here's Emily Feldman and Daniel Aachen. Hello, Emily. Hello, Daniel. Hello. I am so excited to be talking to you both today. I figured we might start this conversation at the very beginning. So I'm curious, Emily, who or what planted the seed for this play that you're both working on, The Best We Could, A Family Tragedy? I started writing this play in 2017, I think, which felt like a time when conversations around patriarchy and misogyny were sparking, especially between people of different generations, Mm. which were the conversations that I found most interesting. And in thinking through the many, many facets of the Me Too movement and what it became, I started to wonder about the relationship between daughters and fathers in all of that. And thinking about how damaging it can be when a person can't attune to change. Mm. And I finished the first draft of this play in the spring of 2018 with the help of a really wonderful organization called Space on Writer Farm. And they held a reading of this play at Playwrights Horizons that spring. And I think it was the first time I'd heard the finished draft out loud. And that's when MTC decided to do the play. And that was quite a while ago now. And how did this collaboration come about between you and Daniel? I had admired Daniel's work for many years since I had started seeing theater in New York. And we had a close mutual friend and ended up meeting in late summer or early fall of 2018 and started to talk about making the show together. So we've been planning the production for quite a while. And over the next couple of years, we workshopped it in San Francisco and at New York Stage and Film in Poughkeepsie and also at MTC. So we have a bit of muscle memory from those experiences. Daniel, do you have anything to add to the origin story? I mean... It's one of those plays where I remember reading my first read of it, and in the first few pages, you're just very aware that, that there's a really strong voice. And and the feeling, without knowing in the first few pages where any of this is going, but the feeling that something difficult is getting worked out, just a feeling of that mm. through the play. And uh, that energy, as I continue to read the play, just so delivers on that energy. 
And then it's just been a very sort of organic process for the two of us sort of treating the play a little bit as its own thing, separate from us and asking the questions of what does it want to be and over over the last few years. Mm. Daniel, you ran Soho Rep from 1998 to 2006, which for listeners who might not know is kind of known for being a tastemaker or kingmaker of new plays. And you've also directed many new plays that have gone on to be some of the most produced of their season, like 4,000 Miles, Bad Jews, Admissions, you know, Melissa James Gibson's work. Can you speak a little bit more about how you go about deciding what to work on or kind of sniffing out that great next play? I've very often had the experience that something hits you very early when you're reading something for the first time and you don't necessarily understand what you're reading, but you can feel it. And then if that feeling is sustained by the end and then you still find yourself thinking about it three or four days later, that's a really good sign. And so it's not necessarily, it hasn't for me been a particularly intellectual experience of feeling drawn to a play. It's more like it gets lodged within you. Mm. Somebody once said it's like you're walking around and there's like some very small pebble in your shoe. And after a few days, you're like, well, I better find out what that pebble is. And <laughs> so you take your shoe off and you have a closer look. So it's not necessarily like I read a play and I understand it or know what it is, but I feel very compelled by it. I, I expect in some ways the inverse is maybe more revealing in that I regularly, especially at Soho Rep, would read plays that I adored and either they weren't a good fit for the programming of the theater or in the case if it was something I was considering for myself as a director, I didn't feel that it was a good fit for me, even if it was a play I really wanted to see and really admired and was really interested in. So finding material that engages you on some gut level is uh, part of the process, I guess. Mm. And Emily, you brought up that this collaboration began in 2018, and here we are in 2023. And I know that this particular play, The Best We Could, was scheduled to begin rehearsals two weeks after New York City shut down in 2020. So this world premiere is five years in the making, at the very least. Can you tell us a little bit more about how that whole process has affected the play, what we'll be seeing in March, or even just your relationship to the play? Sure. So when the shutdown happened, I put my script actually in a drawer and I didn't look at it again until a few months ago when we started to prepare for this new production. And I put off looking at it as long as I possibly could I think I was quite nervous to meet it again because I think of plays as sort of time capsules that hit save in a way on who you were and what you were thinking about when you wrote it. And in the last four years, I've changed a lot and our collective realities have changed a lot. And I think I as much as I wanted to finish this process, which I really did because I think we had a lot of creative momentum going into March of 2020 that then got stopped. And so as much as I wanted to finish that production, I I wondered if I would really recognize the person who wrote this play in the way that you need to, to be able to work on it again. But once I sort of took a deep breath and opened the script, I've been really pleasantly surprised. I think 
working on it now does feel a little bit like meeting a former self, but that distance is actually kind of helpful right now, at least. Can you speak more about what surprised you that you found or anything that you're like, no, this must change? I was very careful not to take the wheels off the bus Mm. in the rewriting that I've done because there's some things about the first draft of this play that have stayed the same throughout. Like the general structure of it hasn't changed very much. Some of the details have shifted, but I have, with this bit of distance, the ability to deepen some of the ideas that maybe we're living a little bit at the surface in previous drafts. And I still quite like it, which is really great. (laughs) That's always good news. And the parentheticals for the title are, you know, a family tragedy. Are you thinking about tragedy as a genre differently now than you were in 2018 or when you first started this project? Obviously, it's a very loaded word. And I was thinking about it sort of in terms of theater history, more than in terms of like what emotionally gets labeled a tragedy in our lives. Um, I was thinking about this essay that Arthur Miller wrote about what he calls the tragedy of the common man. And in it, he talks about what he considers to be a tragic situation in the vein of Shakespearean tragedies or Greek tragedies. And he talks about how it it, it comes about when a character is ready to lay down their life to secure a sense of personal dignity, as in plays like Hamlet or Medea or Macbeth, and that these characters are in some ways, attempting to regain what they consider to be their position in society and how their tragic flaws, whatever they are, force them to evaluate themselves and how this taps into the primal sort of human fear of being displaced or being separated from your society. And I think this conversation around the necessity of revolution and the necessity of displacement is often present in the space between generations because the only thing that's that's constant is change. And so when I was starting to write this play, I was I was thinking about this Arthur Miller essay and also about a few of his quote unquote tragic characters and looking around and thinking, oh, I think I see a lot of Willie Lomans walking around mm. who have a certain idea about the world and how they think they should fit into it. And that, that that's always sort of present in society on some level. So that's the kind of tragedy I was thinking about. And then formally... I was trying to challenge myself and I was thinking, how funny can I make this tragedy? How much can I play with genre to make something that feels like it's mine? I love that you bring up, you know, Willie Loman and seeing a lot of Willie Lomans walking around because having read the play, you can sense that there's so much love toward and reverence toward that generation and also the maps character it feels like a tribute to the stage manager from our town Thornton Wilder and so i love that you're commenting on this generational gap by nodding back to a different generation that's really powerful to me 
I would love to go back to speaking about collaboration and just new play development, because I think this is a really exciting opportunity having you both here working on a new play, and both of you have so much experience in this process. What's something that you want audiences to know about cultivating new plays? I don't think there are any set rules, and every play and every collaboration is different. I mean, the thing that comes up for me is I do think there are certain points in the process, both in development, but also in production, where I've, I've learned the hard way, I think, that there are certain points where the play is sometimes very vulnerable to the vulnerability of the people making it. Mm. And I know there are times, both in development and in production, where it sounds like an odd thing to say, but in some sense, part of my job is to protect the play, both from myself and the playwright. There are certain points in the process where I feel like there's a do-no-harm aspect that you don't have total control over what you're making, and you can damage something. Mm. And sometimes that damage is irreversible. So I guess it's a, it's a tender kind of process to uh, be with a play and be with a collaborator helping realize it for the first time. What about for you, Emily? Are there any ingredients for a new play process that you feel are essential? I think it's it's important for me to be able not to have all the answers a lot of the time. There are certain things I know as we put some of these ideas we have about what this play is into practice, but I also know that there's a lot that we don't know, but that we both trust each other and trust the play. And it's a little bit like having our hands on a Ouija board, you know, sort of feeling around for what it wants to be. And I've always imagined this play more or less on a bare stage, which opens up some interesting opportunities and also leaves a lot of space for us to fill in what it's going to be. I mean, one of the things that originally drew me to writing for the theater is the power of language to shape reality. Like for an actor to say, this chair is my grandmother and I'm about to have a conversation with her. And we all go, oh yeah, okay, great. That chair is a grandmother. Mm-hmm. Like I've, I've always wanted my theater to feel different than my lived reality or anything I can see on TV. And I love when we can do something with bodies or light or voice or sound that creates a kind of naturalism in the sense that it depicts details of an earthbound human experience, but it doesn't have all the literal trappings of it. It's getting at naturalistic feeling sort of from the side. And not everybody's interested in that. So finding people, I mean, it's been important as I've gone along in my career to uh, to collect people who are also interested in stuff like that, because it's it's not everybody's cup of tea. Just to expand on one thing that Emily said, my impulse was to say you have to have trust in each other and trust that, you know, I will make mistakes and there's enough of a trust that we can have a candid conversation about those mistakes or that we can both make mistakes, that we can push each other and that you can have an honest disagreement not all conflict is bad conflict, which isn't to say that Emily and I have lots of conflict. We have almost none about anything. But then as soon as I thought that, I thought, well, I have worked on things where there was actually a huge breakdown in trust. And still, everybody was actually happy with the results. But it's much, much, much harder 
to make something good that everybody's happy with without that. Mm. So I feel like even though this is our first time working on a full production together, we've had enough developmental experiences with this piece that we've really built that up in what feels like a very robust way. You're speaking about, you know, tender parts of the process and a recurring theme of this play and the other full length I've read of yours, Emily, Go Please Go, is failure and failure versus success. So when looking at any part of the process, how do you define success for a new play? You know, I'm, I'm always, I always want to be working at the edge of my talent. And I think when you're starting anything, your taste can far exceed your talent. And you just have to keep going and push through that place where you're reaching for the stars and landing close to where you started in a way. And I, it's a roundabout way of answering your question, but I can't say I came to playwriting late, but I, I didn't really start until my 20s. I wasn't really aware that people were writing new plays for the theater. I was aware of Broadway musicals, but I didn't, I didn't consider it something I had any future in. So I, I spent I spent a number of years like emulating the playwrights that I knew and loved, like Ionesco or Beckett or Thurton Wilder. And along the way, I found my I found my own voice that is still informed by those plays that I knew existed <laughs> at the time when I was first encountering plays. But I think success for me is is closing that gap, like being able to imagine something and realize it and have that thing that I realize really feel true to my own taste and the taste of my collaborators. And I think if you talk to us seven weeks from now and we're all really proud of what we made, that's success, I think. Yeah. And what comes up for me, I don't know how direct it is in answer to the question, but what comes up for me when you ask it is, I guess I'm constantly checking in with myself about the difference between where it starts and where it ends. How different a place can we be in by the end of the play from where we started? And to push for that also within scenes. And just to be checking with oneself about what's the most extreme polarity that's in that, which also feels germane to the characters and the material. So I guess I just have an eye on uh, trying to have the most satisfying, complete gesture at that end somewhere as different at the end from where we started as feels correct. And that has something to do with success for me. That's quite interesting that you say that because this play is a road trip play. So quite literally, <laughs> it begins mm -hmm. somewhere and ends somewhere else. I'm interested to hear how the past two and a half years during this pandemic have changed both of your perspectives on the kind of stories you're drawn to telling or interested in seeing. It comes up most often with productions of plays that are in the traditional canon of like, well, why are we doing this now? This play, I think, uh, answers that with enormous conviction and, and is speaking to things of the moment while also feeling very uh, in conversation with canonical plays. But I feel like for the industry as a whole, that question feels more pointed and more um, on people's minds perhaps than it did a few years ago. 
in some ways, I'm reminded of the time when I first wrote this play or the last two years have sort of reconnected me to that moment in my life where things were very uncertain. And when I started this play, I felt like, oh, this might be the last play that I write for a very long time. So I'm going to go for broke. I'm going to try everything I want to try. I'm going to write towards things that scare me. I'm going to ask questions I really don't have the answers to. And I was able to do that in some way at that time because the stakes felt low. And I think I've reframed that a little bit in the last two years. It's not that the stakes feel low, but I definitely am connected to this idea that like there's no time to waste. Like we all don't know what's coming next. And so to invest in the joy of making something and also to just make the scary thing, like don't, don't hold back and make the thing you want to make right now. And that seems really basic, but I think it's easy to lose sight of at certain moments in your life. That's such a beautiful note to end on. Do either of you have any 2023 resolutions? I'm not much of a resolution person, I'm afraid. For me, the year always begins in September. So I have a very hard time treating January 1st as the beginning of the year. Just like, it's the middle of winter. We just had Christmas <laughs> and holidays and Kwanzaa and, and, and Hanukkah. And it does not feel like the beginning. It feels like the middle. I do like a twice a year check-in with myself because my birthday is like six months from the new year. So I make a long list around my birthday, like one item for each year. So like, you know, I'll have 30 something items <laughs> that I want to address. And then on New Year's, I check in with it to see how I'm doing. And I'm not doing too bad. I'm, I, there, there's a lot to accomplish in the next six months, but there's a couple of things I've been able to check off. Wait, you add an item for each year of your age? Yes, so of my life. So the yeah. list gets longer every year? Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. It's a cumulative list. You don't write 33 new things or like however many new things. You just keep adding. Is that right? Oh, no, they're all, they're all new. Oh, and my God. carry over from year to year if I haven't. <laughs> if they haven't been handled. Is there a sample item you can share that you, is comfortable <laughs> yeah, to do? Sure, sure. To Thank you, sense? Daniel. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I have, of course, I have it right here. Um, wow, I like this method. All right, I needed, I needed to go to um, both the doctor and the dentist. So far, I've gone to the dentist. Okay, good. All right, I feel better. <laughs> <laughs> but that's an acceptable item. For you, Daniel. I can, I can handle that. I can handle that. <laughs> There's I, some I'm that are sure, more existential, sure. but um, I'm sure. I, I'll hit you with something concrete. That's amazing. Well, thank you both so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you so much for talking with us. I loved speaking with Daniel and Emily. They're both so smart and articulate. I feel like we covered a lot of information in a short amount of time. And I'm also really grateful that we got to speak about the new play development process because I'm completely fascinated by how a play starts out as an idea and then becomes text on a page and then becomes a thing that we see on opening night. And after our call, we ended up speaking a little bit more about how that is such a fragile process and how there are so many potholes and obstacles along the way. So... I'm glad that we got to shed a little light on that. 
If you like new plays, definitely check out The Best We Could, An American Tragedy by Emily Feldman, starting previews February 7th at New York City Center Stage 1. It's a heartbreaking and tender play that you're not going to want to miss. Thank you so much for tuning in. My name is Rachel Lin, and I look forward to seeing you at the theater.